This episode of the Woj Pod is brought to you by the starters. Skeets, Tass, Trey, and Lee are the starters, and you can catch the guys every weeknight on NBA TV as they break down what's going on in and around the NBA. From the biggest storylines to the best off-court antics from around the association, the starters cover it all. Head to NBA.com slash the starters for show clips and links to download their weekly deep dive podcast, The Drop. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of the Woj Pod. Back in with me today, ESPN's Ramona Shelburne. And we get into some of the real big issues that have surfaced and resurfaced around the league this week. Starting with the scandal in Dallas surrounding the Mavericks. We talk about Kawhi Leonard and the Spurs and what the future may hold for that organization and, and one of the marquee players in the NBA. And the conversation around the NBA about new postseason scenarios, how some of those might work, how some may not work, and what the league's thinking is behind some of these proposals being discussed at varying levels of the league. So let's get to it. Here's my conversation with ESPN's Ramona Shelburne. Welcome back into another edition of the Woj Pod. And Ramona Shelburne's with me this week from... Out west, Ramona, how are you? I guess we're like the only two people in basketball who did not go to the Sloan Conference to hear everybody talk about analytics, <laughs> but mostly to hear Barack Obama, right? Yep, yep, <laughs> yep. I've got a uh, freshman high school basketball championship game Saturday <laughs> night, so I stayed back this weekend, and yeah, we're, uh, we probably are the only two who aren't there. So <laughs> let's start here, Ramona, with Given it was a week of all-star break of no games for you know, mm-hmm. a week, there's a lot of stuff happening in the league, probably none bigger than what has gone on in Dallas, the yep. Sports Illustrated story that came out uh, a few days ago, and then the aftermath now, uh, you know, we reported last night, the league sent out a memo, you know, essentially the news of it was establishing a hotline for team league employees to call in at any time with workplace issues, including sexual harassment and a variety of other possible workplace issues. Um, but the crux of what went on in Dallas, it was a very well-reported story in SI. Yep. And let me ask you this, as a woman in this industry and in this business, did what you read went on there surprise you less then how Dallas handled this. Like the story Mark Cuban, who we both know is a very smart person, the story he told and his explanation to Tim McMahon about why he kept Earl Sneed there, I mean, I had to read it five times to try to understand, like, did Mark really believe this? I mean, was how they handled it more shocking than the – allegations that women made about their former CEO and then what we know to be true about Sneed? Yeah, sadly, no. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Sadly, no. I mean, and, and I say this not because, you know, of anything about Mark Cuban, but just the world we live in where I think there, you know, I think there is a sense, and this is where we're all kind of waking up, okay? This is what women have sort of known forever, but, like, guys are like, whoa, are you serious? There's this sense that, you know, you, you see the, you know, what happened with Earl and Mark, and this is the thought, the part I thought was very telling. He said, we kind of, and he goes, I don't want to say just, we took his word for it, but that's essentially what they did. They did. Okay? 
after the first one, they just took his version of events. He said, we didn't call the cops. We didn't even get the police report. We just took his word for it. And a lot of it comes back to most men or women or whatever it is. You don't want to believe that this stuff really goes on. You don't want to believe it's worse than you think because you know the guy, you like the guy, and you don't want to see the ugliness. And you you just don't want to see it. And you don't go looking for it because you know him and you don't know her. And it's so much easier to just believe that it's, you know, she overreacted or it's not as bad as he says, or whatever the case is. And, you know, it comes back to this fundamental point, which is that is the status quo, okay? You don't want to see what is not the status quo. You don't want to see something that's going to force you to look at things in a different way or to look at the ugly side of things, because this is just the world that you live in, right? Like, And that's what's really changing now. And I think for women, and, and I'll tell you my reaction to the story, and I'm so glad the NBA did what they did yesterday. Like, that was the part of the story that made me feel good because I felt kind of guilty because I've been in so many situations over the years where you know there's a guy who's somewhat predatory or somewhat, you know, could put you in a bad position, whether it's me, it's generally somebody else. Most people don't try anything with me. Um, but we've all had that, you know, especially when we're younger and less established in, the career, in our careers. But, you know, other women will warn you. They'll say, hey, look out, you know, careful, uh, careful that guy, you know, like don't, uh, don't get into a situation there. It might turn into something that you may not like, you know, like, we mm-hmm. all warn each other. It's sort of like underground, you know, it's, and it's like, you know, I, there was something that was going on, you know, just kind of right in my face for years and years and years. And I would warn other women. I would like say, hey, you know, careful of that guy. Right? Don't put yourself in that spot. And I was like, is that, that's not enough. Right, like that's not enough. We we shouldn't have to like warn each other. We should have a way of sort of dealing with this in a in a in a in a way that's not necessarily ruining our careers. Because if we're the ones who are too sensitive or too you know reactionary, or maybe the guy hasn't done anything, but you've heard the rumors, mm-hmm. it's like you don't want to ruin their career over it. But you also don't want to have you don't want to you know let something go on without telling other women who especially the younger ones who generally tend to be the ones who are preyed upon in these situations, you know, especially younger reporters, younger team interns, younger, whatever it is, younger, you know, younger, um, you know, office workers or, you know, just to support staff in and around. And it's like, God, why is the burden on us? Like, why is the burden on women to warn each other and protect ourselves? Why isn't it on men to just not act like that? Yeah, and and you talk about in Dallas with a CEO who was yeah. in place for twenty years, and like the tone of the cool. women who talked for the story was, yeah, you had to accept it. You had to accept it. if yeah. you were going to a meeting, he was going to put his hands on you under the table, or if you got in an elevator oh. with him, he was going to corner you. Or what yeah. he said to a woman, why you know, in a team dining room to walk up and mm-hmm. talk that way to anybody like just spoke to like the brazenness of no one can touch me to, to say what he said, just what he said speaks to no one around here is going to yeah. touch me. I can say and do whatever I want. And there's clearly not going to be consequences or you wouldn't talk that way if you didn't believe. And it just spoke to an environment obviously where yep. he never felt like he was at risk acting this way. And the fact that it went for so long there that's going to be the hardest thing for Mark Cuban to answer to here. As you know, 
he's there every day. He's not an absentee owner. He, you know, yeah. while he's involved in a lot of other things, he's on their trade calls and he's on the bench and he's on the road with them and he's in the practice gym. And, and I know he said, I didn't deal a lot with the business side. I mean, yep. I don't know. That's hard. It's hard. It's hard to believe. It, it's hard to believe. Because, you know, I, I just know in my own situations, and I, I think you've probably met, you know, men like this as well. It's like everyone around them kind of knows, right? It's like everyone around kind of has a sense that that guy's kind of a creep. You know, like that guy, like, you know, we all to some degree know it. The question is, do you want to see it? And then more importantly, do you want to do anything about it? Is anything being done about it? And I think the situation with, with Earl that, um, you know, the reporter from that, Mavs.com, who was accused, I mean, not just accused, he was, he pled guilty to, a, to assault. He was literally arrested at the Mavs facility and could not travel to Canada as part of the terms of his assault. I mean, that's a pretty serious charge. They, not only did they not want to see how bad this was, like they didn't ask for the police report. They didn't do any kind of investigation. They just, quote, you know, for and, lack of a better term, took his side of the story. And, and here's, um, here's the thing too, Ramon, I don't mean to interrupt you, but when you talk about like Earl Sneed, okay. And this wouldn't excuse it, but this is what makes it even more baffling to me. Yeah. If this was a player, somebody who really impacted the organization in a big way, and you said, like, we know teams try to make things go away with players, and there's lots of people around right. players in their, in their sphere who want to make things go away. And, and to be fair in this story, it seemed like all the women interviewed said the best place for them the most comfortable place for them yeah. was around the locker room, was around yeah. the players. So I don't mean to put this on Maverick players because clearly there were no issues there. In fact, they found those mm-hmm. guys to be just the opposite, welcoming. and and. But in general, like, okay, we know teams who have – there's these cases that come up, and you and I hear them. You talk to the agent. You talk yeah. to the GM. Oh, it's the woman, and she – yeah. yeah, like it was her, and it was – she's after this. And because they're protecting – a very valuable yeah. commodity who is not easily replaceable. A dot-com yeah. reporter is easily replaceable. And that's where I'm exactly. even more that they would go this far for just, let's face it, like what we do and what, like that's not, it's replaceable. They're like, and, and that's what's even more, it doesn't make it better to protect somebody because they're a great player or they're the CEO yeah. and they're helping you raise, maybe he's improved revenue, whatever it is. The fact that they even did it for a guy, to me, it's even more reckless. Oh, like what we talked about earlier, it's the status quo. All you're doing is it's easier to just maintain the status quo than it is to actually fire someone and hire somebody new. Now, that's not hard. I mean, if, if they had fired Earl, they'd have, a, you know, 25 applicants tomorrow. And they would have probably, you know, the, they'd hire one of them right away. So, the, like, as you say, he was replaceable, but they ju- you just it, – it, what it speaks to is a worldview where you don't want to see mm-hmm. it. You don't want to see the ugliness or the other side of things. And, you know, that explanation he gave McMahon where he said some, you know, – I'm paraphrasing here, but he said we wanted – you know, after the second incident – we wanted to keep him sort of where we could see him because we thought he would be a threat. That, that was insane. Like, I mean, that was insane. It's like, Mark, you're what? smarter than that. It, it made no sense. Well, I read it, and you know, now at least he sees what is so glaringly right. obvious to all of us, which is when you don't do something about a guy like that, when you don't fire him, you know, then at what message that sends to all the women in your office? And I'll, you know, I'm going to say something that I, you know, I know it's not exactly related, but when when you see certain things going on and then they're not addressed 
and they're not taken care of. Like, like, and I don't just mean journal. Okay, I'm gonna. This is journalistically, right? When you see people who are reckless, or you know, let's let's. I don't want to throw bloggers under the table. When you see people sort of guessing at what's going on, or you know, whatever it is. Like the other day, I wrote something, and some somebody who writes a blog or an aggregator just completely missed the point of what I was writing. Right? Just completely took something out of context, missed the point. And it's really inaccurate, and it was sort of a screaming headline, and I was like, that's not at all what I wrote. And I shouldn't be worried about stuff like that, but I was like, that actually is going to get picked up, and people are going to read that, Mm -hmm. and it's not what I wrote. And I actually sent this person a direct message, and they fixed it. I was like, that's not what that meant at all. You just, you know, blew that. And I know this is like, it's a small thing, but when you don't have any accountability, like probably that person has never heard from another reporter, source, player, et cetera, when you don't have any accountability for mistakes or things like that, it creates a culture where that's just okay and you don't even know any different. And so it's not even just for the women in that office that see, wow, Earl's going to just get away with anything, right? Like he's been arrested and now he beat up somebody else and she came to work with her face to woman. Like it's not even just for the women's side. It's on Earl's side too. Like he feels like, you know, I, I'm bulletproof. Like, right. like, oh my God, like most jobs you get arrested or something like that happens. You're gone. And twice he's gotten away with it. So like, what else is, is is anything really a deterrent to him anymore? <laughs> right? No, it's it's remarkable in a lot of ways. And so, yeah. from a league perspective, and you covered no one covered yeah. the Donald Sterling downfall more thoroughly than you did during that whole thing. And yeah. there's been two instances since Adam Silver's been commissioner. There was the Donald Sterling, and then there was the Atlanta situation with Danny Ferry. You know, the scouting report and him reading the description of. Luel Dang, yeah. that led to Bruce Levinson being forced to sell uh, his stake in the team, which he did without much of a fight. And people have been asking the question, is Mark Cuban at risk here? Is there something, if this gets worse for him, and I doubt yeah. it's going to get better. I think he's got a lot of explaining to do, but let's say, Listen, it's hard to compare all of these. This is different than yep. the other two, and I'm not right. really looking at the severity or trying to measure the severity. Mm-hmm. But from a practical point of view, people have asked a question about Cuban. Could he lose the team? And I would say this about that. There was a business aspect when Silver pushed and got both of those owners out. They were bad owners. Sterling had been a blight on the NBA for mm-hmm. 25 years. And... It was like that last instance with the tape recording, and this was a lifetime achievement award for him. It wasn't just the last incident. It was, yeah. it was, that was, this is our chance to get him out of here. And they did. Mm-hmm. And they had a kind of a dysfunctional ownership structure in Atlanta. They thought they were helping to address it. Mark Cuban has been a, all in all, like certainly a very successful owner in the league, probably the most, I think you could make the case with the passing of George Steinbrenner, I think the most well-known owner in pro sports. I don't really think there's another Mm -hmm. owner who crosses over. He's a celebrity. He's a reality show. He's got the, Mm -hmm. you know, Shark Tank, all those things. And so I think for a couple reasons that, and then this too, Mark Cuban would make it a street fight. And I don't think the league office Mm -hmm. wants a street fight with Mark Cuban. You saw what happened with him in the SEC when they went after him and what he turned it into. And I wonder if the SEC would still, because he has a platform and an ability to go back at people 
And Mark, to me, is one of the great gatherers of information that I've ever known. And if you don't think Mark Cuban would say, well, what about this guy and that thing and that Absolutely. owner and that thing that maybe nobody else knows about? I don't know that the NBA wants that war. And so what even whatever they now there may come a point, maybe we're going to discover something in this that you go, OK, he can't go. And I don't know that we are. And I don't I'm not ready to judge the whole thing yet because we let's see yep. where it goes. But when you look at those other two cases, very different from trying to oust Mark Cuban. And I'm not suggesting the league's looking to do that, but I know it's that question's been asked. I mean, I I, I think that's a huge part of this, Woj. And, and when I, I, I think back on the Sterling case, like that was actually a real consideration then even. I mean, I think they knew they had to act very swiftly and decisively and kick him out of the league. Like the players were flat out threatening not to play in the playoffs. I mean, this was how serious this was, and, and especially at that moment in time, right? I mean, the, with the tapes and what he said, it was just, you know, it, it was there for everyone to hear. It reminds me a little, now this is, this is there are different cases, but, you know, the NFL didn't realize how bad Ray Rice was until you saw the video, okay? Well, you know, everybody knew how bad Donald Sterling was. You had tapes of him, just ugly depositions yeah. over the years. You had the lawsuit. You had the Department yeah. of Justice you know, sued him and and he lost one of the, he, well, he settled one of the worst housing discrimination cases in history. I mean, this was in plain sight. And yet when you heard his voice on the tape, it was just different, right? It was just like, oh gosh, it was ugly and it was racist. And um, it was just different. And then the whole, you know, the world had changed too, right? I mean, it went around the world in an instant. Um, and I think that was part of it. But even at that stage, even at that, I remember talking to several owners and the question was, if they try to take Donald's team from him here, they knew he was going to fight. It wasn't going to be the most sophisticated fight, like you would say with Mark, right. where Mark would go and dig up stuff on everybody else. <laughs> but I remember talking to Donald's lawyers, and that's exactly what they were doing. They they said they were going to dig up stuff mostly on the league. I think I remember mm-hmm. trying, I'm trying to remember back to you know who's who's leaking you what, right? Like who's which conversations they were absolutely investigating stuff that went on in the league office, like that they thought would, would prove that there was mm-hmm. sexism and racism in the league office over years and years. Like they were, they were tra- turning up old lawsuits and, and um, complaints in New York. Now I don't think they, I, I think they were looking at other owners, but I think their focus was more on the league because that's who they were suing. Right. Remember Donald Sterling sued the NBA. Um, and you know, part of the settlement and the way Shelley ended up sort of winning and quote unquote winning is she indemnified the league against that lawsuit. So what they, that lawsuit never even, there was never a reason for that lawsuit to proceed and end up being dismissed several, I think a year later. Or so, um, because even if Donald would have won Shelley, who was now the, the head of the estate, um, would, would have to cover any damages. So like, even if Donald won, he effectively, the Sterling estate would have to pay the damages, right? They'd, they'd indemnify the league. Um, it was this brilliant sort of legal gambit, how they had set it up, and that's why the case closed so quickly. But even then, like, that was the line of attack. The, the difference was Sterling did something so egregious, he was the only, he had no, he had no supporters. I mean, the, the, in the court of public opinion, this was, this was done. Mark at least has gotten out and apologized for this, and he's gotten in front of that. You've got to give him credit for that. 
But right. I don't think this is over. I think that SI has more. And I think that, you know, generally speaking, as we saw with the Harvey Weinstein situation, once there's one story, there's a lot more. Yeah, people, people then become more empowered to yeah. step up and speak because they've seen others do it right. or tell their, their story. And I do think this. I think Mark has more allies among owners yep. than people might think. because, think. And for a lot of reasons, number one, a lot of owners feel the same way Cuban does about officiating – and they love that Mark is willing to take it on himself, be uh-huh. on the front lines of whether it's being critical of the officials or pushing for specific change in the hierarchy or the process or whatever. There are a lot of owners who they live vicariously through Cuban on those issues because he's willing to put himself on the front line of it. And for that reason, he has more allies among his peers than maybe people might perceive him to have. Yeah, I think he's actually been one of the more influential owners in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years, I would say. Like, there's been sort of a changing of the guard in terms of, you know, the old guard owners like Jerry Buss, and sort of, who used to be a really, used to be a very powerful voice. Like, he, you know, obviously he's passed away now, but it, you know, amongst the new guard, Mark is, Mark is one of the loudest guys in the room. And I think he's able to, as Dr. Buss once did, sort of, you know, Get a get a coalition together. Like when there needs to be votes on something, when there needs to be a consensus on something, a lot of times that falls on Mark, from what I understand. And what will be interesting now, I think, is if there are women, and I'm sure there are, in other organizations who have maybe either currently working somewhere or have left, and now look and see, hey, is there an opportunity for me now to share my story or share the reason? what I had to endure or what I am enduring. And listen, you know, as a mm-hmm. woman in this industry, Ramona, this is certainly not isolated to any one workplace. Um, maybe it was more egregious there than anywhere else, given that it was a CEO. And yeah. I mean, maybe it is, maybe it isn't more egregious. Yeah. I do wonder if this is going to, and maybe it's not even just in basketball. Maybe it's, maybe it happens in the NFL or other sports, but like you said, there may be more that comes out in Dallas. And I think now, there may be more yeah. that could come out elsewhere that will impact everything. Yeah, and, and especially with the tip line that, that the NBA put in place. And I thought that's like as a woman, like I was like, yes, thank you. That's the one thing that you can do beyond like you always wonder like what what do I you know what should I say? What should I do? Right? Like, and we all mostly just sort of warn each other. Well, you know what? You can actually do something now. You can actually call and report that and say, hey, check this check this out. This is not right. And Somebody is going to be held more accountable for that. And the ch- slowly, slowly, a culture starts to change. And, you know, it's, I, I, I think that, if, if anything, that's one of the best things that comes from this. But as I said, I, I think there's going to be more, um, not just with them, maybe, maybe with the Mavs or maybe elsewhere. Because once, once a silence is broken, it, it empowers everyone else to speak up and i think we we've all been sort of waiting for when is when does me too come to the world of sports right you saw that a little bit with jerry richardson in football um i think si did that story as well um but you're gonna i think there's gonna be a lot more and it's it's mostly you know in this case at least um there's an internal investigation the nba is going to have you know they're going to have the results of that available to them. And then I think they're going to do their own investigation. But I think this is going to come down to essentially uh, what did Mark Cuban know? What should he have known? What could he have known? And what did he do about it? So we've heard him 
get out and say he he knew about Earl. He there was a mea culpa there. You heard his explanation, however somewhat ridiculous the second part of that was. <laughs> right. um, but you know he says he didn't know about Usuri. I can't say his last name very well. It's, it's Usuri, right? Not mm-hmm. Usuri. But he he didn't really know uh, as much about him, and it's hard for us to believe that, right? The guy worked there for 18 years and was, you know, even though Mark is out on the road and not in the business office, like, it's just, it's not that big of a world, right? (laughs) Like, even if you're not in the same building, like, you generally would hear. In 1998, there was an internal investigation. It was well documented in the Dallas Morning News. And I know Mark bought the team in 2000, but, like, that's just a straight due diligence, right? Like, you you would have read about that. You would have seen it when you're buying a team and deciding whether to keep that guy on. But I think, and we'll we'll say this again, you didn't want to see that about Osiri. You didn't want to see. He was David Stern's guy. He was the commissioner of the CBA. He was, like, he was talked about as a potential commissioner who would have wanted to see him in a negative light like that right and he he was a big candidate for the clippers a few years ago for a business yep. side president's job there he was a very well like one of the finalists he, for he the almost got that job, job. michelle roberts got you yeah know, the job michelle roberts got he was one of the finalists i remember seeing him in vegas I mean, you know he was he was really well regarded in league circles and and a lot of that speaks to David Stern. I mean, you know, he was an alternate governor for the map, so he was at Board of Governors meetings. I mean, so it's just hard to believe that, yeah, I know you're on the road and you're not necessarily in the business office, but there was definitely a lot of interaction. Today's show is brought to you by Gillette. Guys, I've been shaving for years, a long time. And I've tried a number of different shaving products, but I've always come back to Gillette. Gillette is a brand that I trust and I know will always give me the quality shave that I look for. Once I started using the Fusion Pro Shield, I knew there was no going back to any other razor. This razor helps shield your skin from irritation, allowing me to feel confident that I'll look my best for interviews, on-screen, off-screen, anywhere I am on this job. Plus, the precision trimmer on the back is great for those hard-to-reach areas and styling facial hair. It also features a microcomb that helps guide stubble to the blades and has flexball technology that moves to the shape of your face to get virtually every hair. Now, thanks to Gillette On Demand, I can get Gillette Performance delivered straight to my front door. So forget forgetting to buy blades. Try Gillette On Demand and get Gillette Performance delivered straight to your door. Subscribe today and get every fourth order for free. Visit Gillette Online at www. GilletteOnDemand.com. That's www.GilletteOnDemand.com. Today's show is also brought to you by SeatGeek. Buying tickets online for sports and concerts has never been easier thanks to SeatGeek. They've created an amazing app and website that makes ticket buying easier than it has ever been. They pull all the tickets available on other sites into one place so you never miss a deal. And more importantly, you aren't wasting time. You can even set alerts for upcoming events, and they'll let you know if the ticket prices fall. And even better, every ticket on SeatGeek is ranked based on value, so you can immediately find underpriced seats. And before you buy, you can use SeatGeek's detailed maps to see the view from your seat. I just did it myself, May, U2, in Vegas. And you get to see the full ticket price from start to finish, and they never surprise you with big fees when you check out. 
And now here's the best part of the SeatGeek process for all of my listeners. My listeners who make their first SeatGeek purchase get a $20 rebate. And to get it, all you have to do is download the free SeatGeek app, go to the settings tab and click add a promo code, then enter promo code WOJ, W-O-J. SeatGeek will then send you $20 after you've made your first ticket purchase. It does not get any easier than that. So download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code WOJ, W-O-J, today. San Antonio, Ramona, the Kawhi Leonard situation that has continued to baffle, I think, the league. I think it's baffled internally. And when Pop came out, sort of that first media availability on Wednesday after All-Star break, and it was described to me by people who know Pop pretty well, very well, that they felt he was speaking to an audience of one in that Mm -hmm. availability, that he was talking directly to Kawhi. And that, you know, essentially he said, well, at this point, I don't expect he's going to play. And if he's going to play, like this needs to happen soon because we'll be faced with a very tough decision. At what point is it too late to try to bring him back into the team? And you could see the, like, I think for the first time, really, you could see the public exacerbation of pop on this issue. It has been a private frustration there. I thought it was the first day that you could see it. Mm-hmm. And so this continues on. And I, and I think his future in San Antonio, if he doesn't come back and play this year, or if he comes back in a very limited way, or he's a, he'll be a year away from free agency. And I think his future is going to have to be addressed there. Yeah. I mean, if you're the Spurs, like, I mean, I think you have to think about trading him at this point. If you, if the relationship is that poor, like, don't you have to at least entertain the idea of like what what you should do there? I mean, can you can you realistically, given what is it, two hundred and eighteen million dollars as a supermax, for some reason he's eligible for that this summer? I mean, can you like one physically, if if he's not right, I mean, does, does this challenge his career? I mean, is he able to? Is he going to be able to come back ever at all? Play at that level? Like, what have we seen that that gives you a lot of faith in that? And two, if you're so if you give it to him. Then if you locked into that, and let's hope his quad is okay. And if you if you don't give it to him, then what are you doing? I mean, I guess you have to you have to think about the alternative. And I just I've never seen anything like this. Have you seen anything like this in your no career no? And it's late? and especially given yeah the organization and what his relationship had been with them, which was you know a very strong partnership, and mm-hmm. he's exceeded their wildest expectations. He. He was a guy that a lot of people were projecting to be the MVP this year and came pretty close last year. And, and I remember Doc Rivers saying to me last season yeah. during the playoffs when Kawhi was just on one of those, an absolute tear in the early rounds, he said to me one day, he's the closest thing I've seen to Jordan since Jordan, yeah. meaning both sides of the ball, like what he was doing on both sides of the ball. And so it has created an incredible amount of stress around the organization, front office, coaching staff, teammates. And and I think Pop too was talking yeah. to the players the other day. We're essentially saying we've got to prepare for the fact he's not coming back because he just hasn't, and he's he has been cleared to play. And it's not unusual. Well, maybe over this long of a period, but you know, typically you can be cleared to play, but then it's on you how much pain is there that maybe there's not going to be more damage done. How right. much of a discomfort or pain or whatever the word is you'd, you'd want to use 
can you manage in coming back? And he did for nine games and limited minutes, and then he pulled the plug. And then they thought, okay, maybe he'll be ready to come back around All-Star break, and that didn't happen. And then he's been in New York. He came, I was told, and spent 10 days prior to the All-Star break in New York. He was working out over at the Players Association in Manhattan. They have a gym in their new offices, and he was in there. And the Spurs did have personnel with him there. They had staff with him in the to be with him. But, you know, I think the question people are wondering, and I think the question being asked is, does he want to be there? Does he want to play there? Is this, and he could clear this up and he could answer these questions. He hasn't done that. And he, that's part of, I think some of the issues here is he's not communicative. He's never, that's been something since the very beginning. And he's maybe gotten a little better in that area, but he's a person who just is private, shy, even with his teammates, doesn't say much, and with his coaches. And I think that's contributed to this because I don't know that he expresses always what he might be at odds with or what the issue is, but there's no question that there's a tremendous disconnect between him and the team right now. Well, here's what's really bothering me, and and you just just hit on it. Why are we not hearing from Kawhi? I mean, I I checked with Michael Wright, who does a great job covering the Spurs day-to-day for ESPN, the last time Kawhi Leonard has spoken publicly was January 13th, okay? And this was, I guess it was before his, it was after his last game. And he said, I need a few games. I need to string together a few games before I, I feel right. And then they shut him down, like, the next, before he even played another game. And that's the last we have heard of him. And I know, look, Kawhi's never been a talker, okay? <laughs> like, he's never, right. he's never said much, okay? But... This is the part where, you know, and, and this isn't about us. This isn't about the media. This is about your team and your organization and the fans in San Antonio. Like, they need to hear from you. They need to know what's going on because we're all trying to be responsible journalists and cover this, right? Like, we're all trying to articulate what's going on. And when you've been cleared for medically for this long, and nobody wants to say that there's something wrong. Nobody wants to say, like, hey, there's something right. wrong. You, well, that's right. You playing. don't – like, listen, I never want to pretend to know yeah. what's going on in somebody's body. And I, right. it is yeah. not for me to say, hey, you're not really hurt. Yeah. I, like, because you don't know. But, yeah, I hate that. Right. right? And it's like and, – and listen, it gets whispered. This, and I'm not saying in this instance, but in yeah. others, like, this guy's not – like, you don't know what's going on in somebody's body and what they're feeling. Right. And, but – like he does have a responsibility here to express yeah. something. I mean, obviously they're talking to him a little bit behind the scenes. They are, but yeah. Putting something on the record, handling something publicly, that's big. And it's, you know, you're talking about a guy who is in line for 200 and something million dollars as an extension. Like, how are people going to pay you? How are they ever going to feel good about paying you? I know they want to pay you. They want him to be a spur for life. But when you don't, when you can't get out in front of this story and, and your own story, right? And tell people what's going on and make them feel like you're participating in this. I mean, he's not really around the team all that much. And like, you know, it reminded me, honestly, the other night I was, when I saw your story or, you know, just sort of him going to New York, mm-hmm. it reminded in the sort of mysterious nature of this, of, um, you know, people writing us on Twitter, like these amateur doctors telling us what tendinopathy is, right? <laughs> we don't all know this. But it reminded me of when I was covering the end of Steve Nash's career here in Los Angeles, where he had that mysterious back injury, right? Remember, mm-hmm. Damian Lillard ran into his, his leg in the second game, in his second game, broke the, the fibula, and he, he, had a broken, he had a broken leg, and that somehow sort of 
triggered this nerve issue that went up his entire leg. And the nerve issue, and we used to call it a, and we'd call it a back issue, a nerve issue, whatever. But what Steve would always say is that there was a, you know, he had spondylosis. Again, I'm, I'm not mm-hmm. a doctor, but I play one on TV, okay? <laughs> he had this underlying issue that had plagued him through his entire career, which he had managed. But when he got older, you know, this is obviously going to be even harder to deal with, which is why he trained so hard and why he ate correctly and he went to, you know, some of the best specialists out there. And they just couldn't solve it. Like, they just couldn't. He, he tried so hard for so many years to figure this out. And whatever it was, it was, you know, it was just the way the nerves were, were interacting after that broken leg, but also with his back injury and, you know, the, the nerves in, your, in the, your lower back, they go all down your leg, right? So it, it's all connected. And, uh, you know, I don't understand it. Steve didn't totally understand it. But you know what? He did interviews. He went and tried to explain it. He, went, he was accountable. He said he felt bad for the Lakers. He's like, I'm really sorry. I want to be there for your franchise. I know you traded two first-round picks for me, Oof. one yeah. of which still hasn't conveyed. It's going to be pretty darn good this year. Um, it, you know, he, he, was, he was out there talking about it, and, and it still didn't make it okay. I mean, it still was a bad situation for everyone involved, but at least he was, at least he was out there. At least he spoke. We don't know what's going on with Kawhi. So, listen, how this plays out the rest of the year, and it, to me it's remarkable. You talk about coach of the year candidates. The Spurs Ooh. are the third seed in the West, right. really without him. Even he played nine games. He And Rudy Gay. And Rudy Gay for a lot of this year. Right. And you look at the group they've had on the court a lot of nights and how they've competed. It's pretty amazing. Support for the Woj Pod comes from our friends at Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. They understand that home plays a big role in your life and family. That's why they created Rocket Mortgage. Rocket Mortgage gives you the confidence you need when it comes to buying a home or refinancing your existing home plan. It's simple, allowing you to fully understand all the details and be confident you're getting the right mortgage for you. Whether you're looking to buy your first home or your 10th, with Rocket Mortgage, you get a transparent online process that gives you the confidence to make an informed decision. It's convenient. Our trusted partners allow you to share your financial information with Rocket Mortgage at the touch of a button. And in addition to getting a real mortgage approval in minutes, you can even adjust the rate and length of your loan in real time to make sure you're getting the right solution for you. Rocket Mortgage by Quicken Loans. Apply simply, understand fully, mortgage confidently. To get started, go to rocketmortgage.com slash woge, equal housing lender, License in all 50 states, nmlsconsumeraccess.org, number 3030. As a listener to the Woj Pod, hopefully you feel like you've gotten to know me pretty well. Now the team here at the Woj Pod would like to know a little bit more about you. If you have two minutes, and it really only takes a couple minutes, help us to make the show an even better experience for you by telling us more about yourself. Just go to listener Q. L-I-S-T-E-N-E-R-Q dot com forward slash Woj and take a short survey. You can also give us direct feedback on the show, which we'd love to hear. And as a thank you, you'll be entered into a drawing for a $100 Amazon gift certificate. So two minutes, listenerq dot com slash Woj. That's listenerq dot com slash Woj. Last area, Ramona, you know, Adam Silver brought up at the All-Star Weekend the reseeding of teams 1 through 16, and then Zach Lowe had the story about the kind of the internal conversations at some league levels about uh, potentially a postseason, almost like a play-in tournament, 
for the playoffs. My sense has been that the one through 16 is a more legitimate conversation. And I know this, you would get all 15 teams in the West would vote yes. You need, oh yeah, you need a two thirds majority. So that's 23 teams. So essentially you need half the East to vote yes, right? You need eight of the 16 in the East. And let's assume you got, because everybody in the West would go for this. It's the teams in the East who go, that doesn't necessarily help, help yeah. us. And I think though that the genesis of this, as much as anything, is another way to try to curb tanking. That yes, it has playoff implications and does it give you a chance in the league to have a Houston Golden State final if those are the best two teams? Yes. But I think ultimately it's, we think it would keep more teams motivated. So like if you're the Mavericks and you're going, well, if we get the eighth seed, we're just going to play the Warriors in the first round. Now yeah. that wouldn't be the case. You wouldn't have to play the Warriors in the first round. You might have a first round series that's mm-hmm. more competitive or, and so that might alter how certain teams, especially in the West looked at uh, missing the playoffs or, or tanking. So this to me is more of a tanking issue than it really is. We want to get the best two teams in the finals. I agree with you on that. I mean, I saw this in WNBA, you know, it, it was so every single year, the Sparks and the some combination of the three best teams, it was always the Sparks, the Phoenix Mercury, and the Minnesota Lynx, right? And they would all sort of, sometimes they'd play each other in the second round. Sometimes it wasn't even Western Conference Finals. And it just, you know, then they'd, you know, they'd, they'd knock each other out. Only one of them go to the finals, and they'd play like a pretty sub, subpar team in the Eastern Conference. And it was like, what are we doing? Like, you know, you just got to have the two best teams. And that, you know, so that was why the WNBA did it. It's actually been really successful because the Sparks have played the Lynx in the last couple of NBA, WNBA finals. And it's been really, really good series, right? I mean, the last last couple of ones, went, there were five games. They were exciting. And, um, you know, I think that it, that's not necessarily why the NBA brought this up. But in this in that situation, like, that was about getting the two best teams. And they really needed to do that because this is a league that, you know, needs all the eyeballs it can. You want to have the best teams out there. In the NBA, like, I, I personally, I'm not in favor of this. I like the conferences. I like the, I like the tradition. I think when you mess with things for short-term reasons, you know, sometimes it has long-term effects that you're uh, you're not anticipating. I mean, it's, it's one of those, like, sometimes you have to sort of dance with the one who brought you and you, you ride through these cycles. But um, I see why they're doing it. You know, you're right. Like, it's, it's, if you're the eighth seed in the West, you're, what, you know, we're gonna, you're gonna battle all the way to the end of the season to get swept by the Warriors and, and maybe even the seventh seed, right? Maybe it's, maybe the Warriors that play the seventh seed this year in Houston takes you out in four, okay? Mm-hmm. But, um, I, you know, I, you're LeBron right. James I keep, is, I keep forgetting Houston. I know. Has we the keep best saying record. That, right? I know. You, know? you just assume yeah, it's gonna go 